When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Guess what? You've reached on this journey with us. Southside Sox Mothership Podcast number 80. I'm your host, Brett Ballantini. I have been lucky enough, I believe, unless somebody did some of these clandestine, uh, I think I've hosted all 80. And if you're thinking you recognize these guys who are with me or that you're going to hear from in just a second, uh, no, the Southside Sox staff has not been reduced just to these two guys and maybe a couple shadow writers like uh, White Sox Man or You're the Hamster. No, actually, we are not operating the site by remote control. It just seems like we are. But once again, guys, you're getting used to seeing and hearing from on these podcasts. Once again with me, it's Adrian Serrano and Zach Hayes. Two of my favorite guys on the site, Pro- actually probably my two favorite guys on the site. So what a coincidence that you're here with me to talk about Hall of Fame 2022. Hey, thanks for joining me, guys. Yeah, man. Glad to be here. Always happy to talk. Let's take a look. Let's jump right to what is really the more important and smarter ballot out there. And it is the Southside Sox ballot. We published it, I believe, on Monday. We've got about, it's sort of hard to tell with the way we're doing it now, but let's say roughly 100 voters. And one thing we decided to do differently, rather than an off-site ballot, which sort of resembled the BBWAA ballot, which restricts you to voting for no more than 10 candidates out of a ballot of 30. This year we said, heck with that. And then plus when you're voting, you don't know how things are going. It's just a big mystery until Brett reveals it. And it's probably what you thought it was going to be anyhow. Okay. Now, if you're voting, and if you haven't voted, please come and vote. You might as well. What else you got to do? Uh, You can see in real time how the vote's going, because obviously, just like with any of our other Southside Sox polls, uh, when you click, you know, yes, no, or otherwise, uh, you're going to see how the vote is proceeding uh, now that your vote has been thrown in. So you can see in real time whether or not anybody is on track to make our Southside Sox Hall of Fame. And the spoiler here, 100 votes in, is no, no one is. Uh, but that's not a shocker, guys, because it's a, quite a toss of whether or not the baseball writers, et cetera, will be voting anyone. And it seems like Mr. David Ortiz has a pretty darn good chance to make it, which we are going to address here uh, in a second. But it seems like perhaps uh, no one else. And this ballot, though, sort of packed with really good players, it just can't muster the courage to get anybody into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it's. I kind of always go back to the same question. It's like, at the end of the day, like, what is the point of the vote? What is the point of the Hall of Fame? Is the point of the Hall of Fame to get people into the Hall of Fame to talk about them, or is the vote to keep them out? Because 
you can't tell me that there's a difference between being able to vote for everybody on the ballot and being able to vote for nobody on the ballot because both would they'd cancel each other out at some point because somebody would definitely vote for everybody and somebody we clearly see would vote for nobody a bunch of them have (laughs) so there's no difference between the two so they'd really cancel each other out so like at least that would keep people on the ballot longer to maybe get people to actually do the research on somebody that they didn't see play or played in the other league and all they know is the American League or National League. Um, but that's kind of, you know, always my thing. Like, I just don't understand what the purpose of their uh, existence is as the voting uh, public. Zach, it seems like another year of successful gatekeeping, gatekeeping or mostly successful gatekeeping. Uh, do you fall in line with what Adrian just said or what are your thoughts on what the uh, both our South Side Sox and the actual official ballot are telling us so far? Yeah, it's a total, it's a cluster of the BBWA's own making and that uh, their own, it's a consistency issue is that it is the way that votes have gone over the past 10 years and how um, most of these writers have approached the Hall of Fame and just their general coverage of the sport over the past 30, 40, 80 for some of these people, it seems, years. Uh, And they're just kind of tripping over themselves now. You know, there was such a strong push for such a long time to keep uh, Bonds and Clemens out that now you have guys like Gary Sheffield is on the ballot and A-Rod is on the ballot and, uh, you know, Pudge Rodriguez and Bagwell got in. And now it's just there's so many people who are sucking up so much air uh, in this conversation because they could not get it straight what they actually did or did not believe in the, the great hypocrisy, of course, being how much these writers were very much uh, willing to give give a lot of the, those things, the the see no evil, hear no evil treatment back in the 90s. So uh, what this is, is, yeah, the BBWA just tripping over themselves and um, they've they've tied themselves in too much of a knot. And as a result, we get to suffer for it. <laughs> The resemblance to political coverage today, Zach, is sort of frightening and sickening. And it's going to take us just much scarier places than just a silly Hall of Fame. Yeah, Uh, I mean, because exactly, like, that's the thing that really gets me. It's like, all right, like, if you make a decision of, like, all right, anybody that has a positive test, that's a guy I can't vote for. Like, I, all right, I understand that. That's something that, like, you can say. But then we start to spread that into hearsay and, like, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But, like... You know, a guy like Gary Sheffield, he's got the rumors about him, but, like, his numbers don't have that, like, Sammy Sosa, where did this come from, jump, you know? Like, he hit 33 homers pretty early in his career, you know, and stayed pretty consistent. And so, like, maybe if he did use something, it helped him stay a little healthier. But, like, from looking at his career, you don't see that big, like, oh, it's the late 90s, what happened to this guy, like Jeff Kent, you know, who was, like, averaging, you know. 17 or you know 15 homers you know for the first half of his career then all of a sudden jumps up he's averaging high 20s like you know those guys like i understand an argument against that or at least some questions being asked but like you can't just throw this blanket over everybody um and not use you know some kind of more nuanced conversation as to decide who and we can't also only punish batters and roger clemens for this you know like if you're going to punish steroid users you have to look at a guy like uh, Kurt Schilling, you know, who in the first 10 years of his career averages like, you know, two something war a year. And then in the last 10, all of a sudden going to 40 is averaging, you know, over five. Like those are not normal jumps. When you hit 33, you don't normally get twice as good as you were in the first half of your career. Like, so look, those are worth asking questions about, but it's got to be either equal for everybody or it's going to have to be, you know, just let them in and tell their story as is. 
Yeah, not to derail with the PED issue uh, per se, although it looms over this ballot and maybe every other one that will ever exist. Uh, and I'm not one who's going to necessarily liken, like many do, um, steroids as fairly equivalent to, say, amphetamines. But let's face it, there's always been ways to cheat. There's always been cheating. Guys have always wanted to cheat. Uh, as I think you both have pointed out, uh, writers have looked the other way, or they've even perhaps in some ways contributed to some of these issues, uh, certainly by uh, not calling guys out. And the, the randomness of all of this, where it's like, you know, I've dropped my monocle over Barry Bonds, or I've dropped it over Gary Sheffield, or I've, I've dropped it over in, in a few years back, Jeff Bagwell, who just, you know, sort of people maybe presumed or thought, uh, Mike Piazza thought that. Uh, for a long time, it gets ridiculous. And, you know, never mind the fact that many of these guys on the ballot who are still being punished uh, were involved in whatever this nefarious stuff is when, uh, you know, I guess it's a matter of debate, but that it technically wasn't even something you couldn't do. I mean, there's that whole gray area. And, you know, I'm not going to get into like, hooray, Ty Cobb, you know, hooray for all the ugliest people uh, in, in the Hall of Fame. And that justifies getting guys in now. I certainly can see why Barry Bonds has to wait and cross his fingers for the very last vote or just hope that some small veterans committee is going to get him in one day uh, as punishment for what he has done. But uh, my goodness, the idea that you're going to turn in a blank ballot or one or two guys, or frankly, even our Southside Sox ballot, which has pitifully low uh, totals for guys like uh, Bonds, Clemens, uh, and some of those upper echelon guys, uh, is set. it should at least be a fight. There should be a fight, as we're seeing in the tracker for the real ballot. It does look like it's going to go down to the wire for both Clemens and Bonds. Looks like they're probably going to fall short, but at least they're they're close. That's what we ought to be doing on Southside Sox as well. Uh, but Zach, a lot of stuff we're covering here. Uh, uh, jump in with some thoughts as well. Yeah, um, like I said, it is a consistency thing, and my I'm consistent in that I, if I have to make a choice, I'm not a voter. I'm not voting for folks who have failed the PED test. Not because I, at this point, I'm far beyond really caring about what it means for integrity or any of that stuff. Cause that's gone so far out the window a long time ago. Anyway, uh, it is a consistency thing is that the fact is you can't like Adrian, like you're saying, you can't pick and choose. Uh, and I, I choose to pick none of them because what happens also is that these guys sucking up air, uh, and space is taking away from guys like Bobby Abreu, like Mark Burley. I mean, the fact that Kenny Lofton fell off the ballot after one <laughs> yeah. year, you know, there's going to be it's it's I was just thinking it's a little ironic that the veterans committees and those committees now are so kind of tainted by politics. But give it 10 or 15 years and those committees are going to have to do a lot of hard looking at guys who are like, wait, they really should have been given uh, more of a chance. And so uh, the la- the thing, the last thing I will say about PDs is that my personal strain of thought beyond Beyond, having gone beyond any kind of moral judgment is that um, if you like if you cheat on a test you get 85 out of 85 right and then you cheat on the last 15 percent it doesn't really matter if you got all of them right before that you know <laughs> and if you're a teacher that's yeah i mean it's, it's a flawed not, analogy it's not a bad, anal- it's not a bad analogy, analogy because yeah like you know a lot of people have cheated on tests and standardized tests and like some get caught and the ones that get caught are the ones that get punished and it's unfortunate but like everybody had the same uh um, a chance of you know they had the same uh, opportunity to use it and they had the same chance to get caught generally you know so the people that have the positive tests like yeah like have to be treated differently than the people that you just think you know or don't pass oh yeah the that, that's i know? wasn't saying to be clear exactly yeah there, there's tiers of it there's tiers like first is like you know the people that uh, you know it's an absolute no you got a, p- a positive test or admitted to it andy pettit sorry you're out you know you 
whatever two days you however long you want to admit you used it for you admitted you used it you got caught for it like that's just a no it's a non-starter for me and then the next is like the guys that like all right there's some questions all right maybe we take a closer look and there's a guy like you know a sosa that you know all of a sudden you know has you know eight years of one player and then he becomes a different player and then he becomes a different player you know like there's uh you know there's levels to these guys you kind of have to keep looking in um you can't just treat them all the same uh in all across the board and then a guy like todd helton gets pulled into this like todd helton's never been mentioned in anything close he's like he's close to a frank thomas type is like you never even heard a murmur about it and then he's getting punished because he got drafted by a team in Colorado. Like he didn't choose to do that. The PED guys chose to do PEDs, but he mm-hmm. just played in the park that he was drafted in. Like that shouldn't be held against the guy. Adrian Serrano conveniently ignoring that playing in that thin air is basically like taking a PED or steroid. Uh, okay, let's check in. I know we're sort of juggling here between the actual baseball writers ballot and Southside Sox. They don't reflect each other uh, exactly. But who do the Southside Sox voters like so far? We have probably, it's sort of hard for me to tell before I could basically track every one of you who voted. I could see how you voted. And if I chose to offline, told you, I could. But uh, no, I didn't abuse that power. But I don't have that power any longer. I have given it away because we're just doing this thing where you could vote for 30 players. We know nobody's voted for 30 players because poor Carl Crawford still has zero votes so far with about at least 100 ballots. And I know not everybody's voting in each, uh, all 30 people. We're getting different totals for everybody, but generally everybody's, there's been about 90 votes for everybody at least. I think no one has more than 100 votes. So we're just going to say, if you take it off 100 ballots, it doesn't look like anyone is really abusing the notion of being able to vote for everybody. I voted for more than 10, by the way. I, I, I broke the rules and voted more than 10. Not too many more than 10, but I did. Uh, I would count about seven and a half candidates per voted for. Uh, I don't think people are actually doing that uh, because I'm a real big Hall guy. And I don't think, based on comments from Southside Tax, most people are not. Uh, but who do Southside Sox voters like so far? About 100 votes in. Uh, Andrew Jones has 52%. Now, not close to getting into Hall of Fame, but still more than 50%. Todd Helton, even though he cheated in that really thin air, uh, 61%. uh, And he's a guy, I think, in the real, in the actual ballot is maybe gaining a little bit of traction. Uh, Mark Burley, (laughs) this is where I really need you, you voters to come through here. At least I know two of us agree here that Mark Burley's a Hall of Famer. He is not yet a Hall of Famer. Uh, I know that this is arbitrary. And if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer, please. There is a little bit of a process here. We don't go, we don't let Mark Burley jump the line past Todd Helton into the Hall of Fame. Give him a little time to get there. He's not supposed to be in the Hall of Fame yet. 69%. Chill out, Southside Sox voters, please. David Ortiz, contentious. And let's address David Ortiz here after I give you this total. 72%. He is sort of on the cusp in the actual uh, tracking of the actual ballot. I want to say he's low 80s. It does seem like David Ortiz is going to get in. I'm not sure I agree with that, although I do think he's a Hall of Famer. And I did mention Carl Crawford, the only one on the ballot so far at Southside Sox who has no votes, which seems odd because Jonathan Papelbaum is on the ballot among others. But anyhow, I guess there's just a lot of Crawford hate because he tormented the White Sox with the Raiders. No love for Carl. I need this to be no. like on the... Can you believe it? Was a little, look at all those all those stolen bases. Come on, Carl. Look. All right. Somebody got to throw down a vote. Uh, or maybe Zach Hayes has to come on a vote uh, to get Carl Crawford a Hall of Fame vote. But uh, let's uh, spin right to David Ortiz. 
Uh, and tell me, does is he deserving of a first ballot Hall of Fame election? Um, first ballot, I think definitely not. Um, I mean, just because you can't, I can't, it's really hard to like, again, like you get into actually looking at these things and to see that jump from what he was in the first few years of his career. Like, I, and I know sometimes it takes a young player a little bit of time, but like you would see some, like if power is what you do, you would see some of that early maybe. And then the bat skills come behind it, but to just go from, you know, 10, 18, like, Oh, now I'm hitting 50. Like it's just, it's red flagish to me, but like without anything definitive, I think eventually he would get in. Um, which goes back to like why only be able to pick 10 because like, why should somebody that's deserving to go in, not go in just because <laughs> we have to prioritize other people. You shouldn't have to work the system like that. It shouldn't be that it should be like, yes or no. <laughs> yeah. I know the, the, there was that 2003 report that has never been made fully public, but um, my, my impression and my understanding, which might, you know, be misinformed. I don't know, but the, the consensus that I've seen is that it's pretty well accepted that Ortiz popped a positive in 2003. Um, and while, you know, he did have the last half of his career was honestly one of the greatest, a really great stretch of hitting right there. But um, that's again, it's either, for me, a blanket no, if you pop a positive or you start having to make those judgment calls. And at the end of the day, I'm just going to say, sorry, like, no, I'm, I, I can't do it. Cause I'm not going to, I'm just not going to dive into the politics of it with 18 other guys on this ballot. Mm-hmm. Um, that only muddies the conversation further, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, Zach, whether you're referring to it directly or not, I mean, you could legitimately make a case, I think for some, I mean, it's definitely more than half the ballot. I think you can make a legitimate case for as being Hall of Fame uh, worthy at a clearing a minimum bar. So if you're a really big Hall person, I think you could say more than half this ballot is mm-hmm. worthy. And it's odd that David Ortiz is the only front runner. Uh, I can see why he's being treated differently than Alex Rodriguez, who is far more, far more guilty of the nefarious uh, deeds than David Ortiz, uh, who may still also uh, be guilty, but the idea that a guy who's well down in terms of worthiness on the ballot, even accepting Kurt Schilling, who says he doesn't want to be on the ballot, so just toss that piece of trash off, uh, that he's going to be the guy leading when, frankly, Mike Mark Burley has a better case for the Hall of Fame than David Ortiz. It seems strange that suddenly this guy, who's like somewhere maybe about the 12th best case, is now likely the only guy to get in this year. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we are going to come back, and I'm going to put these two guys on the spot in ways they don't even know. And we might even look ahead to next year's ballot, which I'll just give you the, the spoiler is it sucks. And so we're going to be talking about a lot of the same guys, most of the same guys uh, next year to see if they creep any closer, the Scott Rollins and the Todd Heltons of the world uh, next year. I'll get there. I'll get our guests thought on that in just a second. Let's take a minute away and we'll be back. No, we're not going anywhere. We'll be back. Hey, White Sox fans, podcast 80. We made it to 80 together. I am Brett Valentini hosting this podcast number 80. It seems like well, about, about once a year, we talk about the Hall of Fame. And then once the election's over, we talk about it again. We talk a lot of Hall of Fame. Zach Hayes loves, I got to tell you, Zach Hayes loves talking about Hall of Fame. That's why he's here with me, along with Adrian Serrano. Here mm-hmm. are our two guests here for Southside Sox talking Hall of Fame. Now what I want to know, guys, we already addressed the very difficult David Ortiz and the big poppy in the room. Uh, tell me, first I would like to know from both of you, who is the most overrated candidate on this ballot 
based on the interest generated, et cetera, or should it even be a hundred dollars? I, it's probably Ortiz overall, just for the Red Sox factor and for the breaking the, the I mean, it's a big yeah. deal. It's that a big deal when you break a curse like they had, like, you know, the quote unquote curse, like they hadn't won in a long time. So like those Red Sox teams were nationally celebrated in a way that, um, you know, a lot of teams aren't. Um, and just being in the postseason every year, like a lot of these baseball writers i think also just don't watch a lot of baseball outside of their market or their division you know like i think that's really a thing like so you see a lot of buzz around guys that are on a national stage more often and they you know they'll tell you like oh it's just postseason you know like success like that's what we base it on but like it's a team game you know like there's a lot of reasons why you do and don't you know have many opportunities for the postseason as mark burley can tell you um and it's not usually to do with your own personal performance um but outside of that, I probably would have to say another guy um, in the same kind of vein would be probably an Andy Pettit, who arguably was very good, but, uh, you know, another year, uh, played another year more than Burley did, um, and ended up right around pretty similar numbers. Um, and I think just kind of gets that bump up. He, you. They talk about Pettit as if he's in like the Kurt Schilling realm of stats, you know, like he was putting right. up those numbers and like he never did. No. Um, he was never putting up Roger Clemens numbers. He was never putting up what Schilling was doing. Um, he was just kind of always there. And because he was a Yankee kind of gets that like bump up and like uh, prestige that, uh, you know, maybe if Mark Burley had his exact same career and everything is the same, but does it in uh, the Bronx, he's a different candidate right now, you know, and that's just the way it is. Zach? Um, yeah, in terms of pure vote totals, uh, some of which is a little surprising, I would perhaps encourage readers to look into some of the uh, personal and domestic issues that Omar Vizquel and Andrew <laughs> Jones uh, have in their history, and I find it I find it very difficult to vote for them under any circumstances. In terms of pure talent and what's going on, and... <sighs> This may be something that's a little more getting love in the analytical community than more in the you know general baseball discussions, but I, I still cannot quite, and my friends at PitcherList are going to pillory me for this, I, I cannot wrap my head around the idea of Scott Rowland as a Hall of Famer. Because um, there are other guys who I, we can talk about in a little bit who are in that kind of similar category of maybe borderline, probably weren't appreciated enough when they were playing, uh, my thing with Roland is that he only really only has a couple elite seasons and a lot of his value comes from defensive metrics that I don't particularly, not that I don't trust them, but I don't want to put a whole lot of weight on them. I'm not sure what Scott Roland's war is going to look like if maybe some of those, you know, the defensive metrics disagree frequently enough that it's hard to say anything concrete. So uh, I, I don't want to put the, you know, the throw the, you know, he didn't look like a hall of famer. I, I test on there, but there's just not, not enough for me there to justify Scott roll and getting a really, really, really strong push. Uh, when you've got some other guys who I think are probably more deserving of it. Well, now you've given my, now you've given me my choice for underrated, uh, Zach. Uh, yeah. Overrated. I got to go with, um, Ortiz just because he's the only guy getting any votes and he just, he, he, he shouldn't be there yet. I, not that it's like, 
hey, you know, guys got to like earn the. I mean, think about the fact that 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 like Rogers Hornsby, God's sake, he wasn't even a first ballot guy there. You know, Willie Mays, you know, was not unanimous, et cetera. It just there's crazy stuff in history, and I, obviously we're getting maybe a little more sophisticated. All votes are known. Uh, people, a lot of writers, stupidly make their <laughs> their ballots public. Uh, so you know, we know more about the process, as ugly as it is. Uh, now, so I'm not a guy who's like, well, you got to wait your turn. Uh, David Ortiz should go in year five, but I mean, he just doesn't seem like a, a first ballot Hall of Famer, given that he's a guy getting the support uh, where there are more worthy uh, players, perhaps even. Scott Rowland. Uh, I think, yeah, he's uh, clearly an, an, an easy overrated guy. Uh, underrated, I will pass on uh, Scott Rowland because, yeah, I think he's a Hall of Famer. But I, I, you know, I can hear what you're saying. And I know we're going to get into, I think if we have time, we might address the idea of closers in the Hall of Fame as well here because that's the other side of the coin there with the defensive metrics. Uh, apparently, uh, relievers aren't, uh, we still can't figure out really how to value them in terms of a war measurement, et cetera, even though I do think leverage has worked into it. And I, have a tendency to think it's all sort of like hot air but anyway we'll discuss that in a second uh okay i'm gonna go super 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 underrated i think a guy who does actually have a case i think he's a he's a veterans candidate one day and you guys are gonna just hate me and hang up uh tim hudson he's gonna be my underrated candidate uh okay guys underrated candidate you knew this was coming underrated candidate uh on the ballot and you can't say marv really a because your white Sox fans b uh well no you can because it does look good right now i think the tracker has them like at barely over five percent to stay on the ballot for another year which is enough to make me want to stop this podcast because it makes me angry um i actually i don't hate i don't hate tim the tim hudson pick at all there uh, i think he kind of also falls into that burly category yeah. of guys who because of the changing landscape of baseball in three four five years i think we're going to appreciate pitchers like them a lot more than mm-hmm. we did towards yeah. the tail end of their careers maybe yeah. but um, I have one very, in addition to the one that I know we're going to disagree on, we can, we can get to in a bit. Uh, I, I, this is one that I'm really met. One of the reasons I really don't like the steroid guys sucking up all this air is, so there are four players in major league history, four hitters who have 250 homers, 500 doubles and 400 steals. They are Barry Bonds, Ricky Henderson, Craig Biggio and Bobby Abreu. I'm with you there, Zach. I, I think Bobby Abreu is who a lot of people Scott, think Scott Rowland is. In terms of the career arc, in terms of the appreciation, uh, Abreu, and he was someone who I heard the name, and I understand it. Like, I remember seeing his name, and like, it, kind of an instant, oh, Bobby Ray and I, he's not a Hall of Famer. And you look right. at the numbers, and uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that dude's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. That was a good call. I'm with you there. Adrian, um, who you got? For underrated, uh, you took my pick. My pick was also going to be uh, Tim Hudson. Um, the reason Tim Hudson is a Hall of Famer because I think uh, that Mark Burley is a Hall of Famer, and I think Mark Burley is a Hall of Famer because Earl Hershiser should have been a Hall of Famer. <laughs> like, um, there's just a, a lot of guys. They're all very – like if you look at Pettit, Burley, and Hudson, they're all kind of right in that same area with Hershiser. Like they're all kind of guys that have maybe one or two guys and – they would be the third guy. Any of that group of people would be the third guy that has like, you know, statistical comps similar to them that are in the hall of fame. Um, uh, so if, if I can't go Hudson, since you did it already, I'm going to have to go with a guy that I don't like for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but I just really appreciate his game. And he played a very uh, 
tough defensive position for a lot of years, and that's Torrey Hunter. Like, I think he's not really getting the respect he deserves as a uh, center fielder for playing that long and doing it at a, you know, a high level. You look at a guy like, uh, he's just, he did it very, uh, I think kind of injuries started to slow him down a little bit towards the end of his career. I'm not sure if he could have played. He did kind of squeeze in 19 years. So it's not like he had a short career. But I think just a guy that did everything on a baseball field at a high level and was a just a really good, you know, player. Another guy that kind of probably suffers a little bit from not playing for. Uh, he played for plenty of really good teams, but as we know, Minnesota does not win in the playoffs. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he doesn't play for very. He didn't play for many very many winning teams and those Angels teams that he played for. Uh, had a couple decent ones, but I think yeah. just not a guy that gets the respect. I think he deserves. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Definitely for a big call. He's on the cusp, uh, not quite in league with Omar Vizquel or Andrew Jones, but certainly has some problematic mouthiness in the past uh, uh, involving uh, homophobia. I don't think that would actually have anything to do with the majority of baseball writers voting because they don't care about anything. And I'm guessing they certainly don't care about Tory Hunter's past homophobia. Hey, listen, uh, Bobby Abreu, polling at 11% right now. He's tied with Jimmy Rollins. He's tied with Omar Vizquel right now. Uh, Zach, I'm feeling for you and I'm with you on that. Uh, The man needs to get some respect. And let's hope uh, in part, a little transition here, the fact that there's nobody but Carlos Beltran coming up, which he's done a lot to torpedo his probably once were maybe lock Hall of Fame chances uh, with his, I guess, uh, recent non-playing or uh, later career playing misdeeds. Uh, But uh, so we are going to have a lot of a sort of a repeat uh, ballot. So hopefully there's going to be opportunity for guys like uh, Abreu, uh, Helton, maybe some of us, Scott Rowland, to get a little bit more. Uh, traction on the ballot, given that we're going to have pretty much a similar ballot next year. Let's transition quickly as we start to wind up into the idea of uh, closers in the Hall of Fame. The Southside Sox electorate failed to elect Trevor Hoffman to the Hall of Fame. I will tip my cap to them and salute them for that. Billy Wagner is a guy who is not tracking at all to be in the Hall of Fame, but I think he is getting a little bit uh, more support as time goes on. Uh, your thoughts on a given that Billy Wagner is a fairly consummate closer and has some numbers that really are almost untouchable among even other closers. Uh, where do you guys stand on the idea of closers beyond, say, the weird hybrids like uh, Dennis Eckersley, uh, who did it as a starter as well, uh, in the Hall of Fame? Are we just not measuring the importance of a closer or is it just three outs? So who cares? I think we have to, I think this is going to be a good time to revisit a lot of this because there's like a lot of guys kind of in this same conversation here with the Papal Bonds and the uh, the Billy Wagners. I think we're just going to have to kind of start to think of these guys as a different role. Like we're trying to, you know, compare them to everything historically, but they were asked to do a specific job and they, you know, did that job pretty well for their you know it's kind of like i would equate it to maybe like a a kick returner in the nfl like all right you're limited on your uh impact but like you're doing what you're asked to do you know so uh maybe if you know the managers had been a little braver and more willing to you know employ these guys as some of these high leverage closers are now maybe they would have had even more impact um 
but you know i'm not really prepared to you know make an argument for or against them but i think it just it, it's willing to i'm willing to look into a new way to uh talk about relievers um even though because relievers get in more often than just about any position <laughs> it turns out you know so um, i don't think we know why we just kind of have to we we think they're good so we put them in um and we need to kind of revisit why okay zach pitcher list awaits your answer i you know pitcher list actually disagrees with me on this one ironically quite a bit um or it's at least a little a little more split opinions uh, adrian you did take my point a little bit and i was going to phrase it a little differently i don't know uh, what football team either of you support, but I suspect this will be a convincing argument for much of the uh, listenership at the very least. And Brett, I know what your opinions are. So um, <laughs> what do we say? Devin Hester, not a hall of famer, right? Only, only was on the field. Let's no, no shot. Had no place, no place in Canton for Devin Hester. Greatest of all time without question. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I, I kid I'm ribbing you, but uh, I actually, I agree. I'm with having like, I'm with having pretty high standards for relievers. Um, I think that it is weird because you can't use war because it's a cumulative stat. There are other, there's jaws, there are other metrics and mishmashes of stats that have uh, kind of accounted for that stuff. But that one is still more of a gut call, I think for most. And I am of the opinion that, yeah, like I'm not, I think a lot of it has to do with like longevity and playing for one team. Trevor Hoffman's not a hall of famer. If he plays for like five different teams, like Billy Wagner does at the end of the day. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with like you hinted at Adrian is that guys like, um, you know, we we're giving Cy Young awards to Bruce Suter in the eighties. We didn't, weren't really sure how to value uh, relief <clears throat> pitchers, even less, less sure than we were less sure than we were now. I think, the thing that I have about Billy Wagner specifically, though, is that Billy Wagner is above that fray. Billy Wagner should be in no doubt territory. I think, uh, put it this way, we watch baseball year in and year out, and we see how easy it is. You can have a reliever who's great for two, three, four straight years, but then the second they lose it, you know, you have one bet, Matt Thornton. How great was Matt Thornton for how many years? And then they gave him the closer job, and he blew up, and that was that, you know, and he was just not the same. Billy Wagner... <laughs> pitched 15 years in a major league bullpen and he had an ERA below three in 14 of them. Yeah. Like nobody, 12, nobody this side of Mariano strikeouts for a guy that pitches maybe four times a week. <laughs> like, like nobody struck out more than he did. You know, he, he was really ahead of his time. And I genuinely think that with closers, like you said, it comes to perception a lot of the time as much as anything else. And, you know, Mo and his, uh, just longevity and playoff dominance makes him a clear no-brainer. But I think it is interesting that without the narrative, without you know Billy Wagner having played in the same place for 10, 15 years where he becomes kind of a local legend and um, gets that kind of following, then I think he's in no doubt. But that you know, plays as the fickleness of the BBWA and our perceptions as, as fans and voters. It's, uh, that's why it's fun. It's always a little bit ambiguous. <laughs> Somehow, Zach, I remain unconvinced, but somehow, Zach, I knew I was predicting Devin. I was going to bring it up. Devin Hester would come into this argument. You've caught the very last of my NFL fandom and my Chicago Bears fandom. Um, so, yes, I it does speak to me, but then I would throw back at you. I know Gail Sayers did more than just what Devin Hester did. But still, 
uh, these these are compelling. I mean, you guys have made a better argument than I could make uh, that's in a, anti. So that's another. I'm gonna, I'm going to step on a separate soapbox uh, about the uh, the Baseball Writers Association and the Baseball Hall of Fame in general. Like, we have to stop comparing every guy that comes on the mm-hmm. ballot to Babe Ruth. Like, like just because you're not the greatest to ever mm-hmm. do it doesn't mean you're not great like this is the basketball thing drives me crazy like everybody as soon as you say any other player is good or you like them like you got to hear 400 people telling you michael jordan michael better. Better. i don't care we're not talking but about he was that. so is this guy good though but that's all that matters right. like he wasn't will chamberlain you know Absolutely. if we're going by certain metrics you know so like everything has to happen for a reason like great players should be celebrated for being great if they have some questionable things in their private life tell that story in their uh, little bio in the hall of fame, you know, like be truthful. Like it doesn't have to be a puff piece about them in the hall of fame, like, but celebrate what they did on the field because that's what the museum exists for. Uh, listeners tune in in just a few days when we do our post hall of fame, uh, South side socks uh, discussion where uh, infamous big hall fan, Brett Valentini attempts to continue to defend his lack of support for Billy Wagner, Trevor Hoffman at all. Uh, for the Hall of Fame. Uh, we'll be talking about a lot of the same stuff. Hopefully I'll be talking uh, maybe with a bigger group of people or hey, Adrian and Zach will be back. We'll talk about a lot of the same stuff. We'll put a different spin on it. Maybe we'll throw some more color or we'll just break down Devin Hester's career. Next podcast, that'll be 81. Uh, see you in a few days. Vote on Southside Sox for the Hall of Fame. Please, let's get a lot of numbers up there so we can get something legitimate. And you know, guys, gals, chill on Mark Burley just maybe for a couple more years. Thanks, Adrian. Thanks, Zach. Uh, We'll be back at you in a few days with more Hall of Fame talk. 